Hello everyone and welcome to The Lavender Menace. I am your co-host Renaissance Marie. I use they them pronouns and I am quite excited because you are seeing me before I see everything everywhere all at once, right? Yeah. That's what it's called? Yeah. Yes. And then who knows if I'm a fundamentally different person after the movie. That is for you, the listener, to decide when you In part you're here. two, because we are doing, mm-hmm. of course, our regular three-part series, hot take, shared media discussion, and then recommendations for each other. And of course, the shared media for today is Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is the new film starring, ooh, I'm forgetting her name, but uh, it's like the A24 film that everyone is shitting their minds over right now yeah and that's that's chris fleming pilled no it is chris fleming pilled oh we talked about it in our most recent bonus episode up on patreon where renaissance yeah. unboxes the presents i got them for their birthday but anyway to introduce myself i am sunny i also use they them pronouns and Woo. we are excited to bring to you this episode because i have already seen everything everywhere all at once like a weekend ago or something and i fucking adored it like i loved it so much but we'll talk more about it after renaissance comes back from the theater Anyways, to first get into the hot take, Mm -hmm. we have two honestly pretty similar submissions, like emailed submissions from you guys, our dear listeners. So the first emailed hot take is from Joey, who is 15, a lesbian, and uses she, her pronouns. And she basically wants us to talk about the slap, Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the fucking, like, is it the Grammys? The Oscars. The Oscars? Yeah, the Oscars. (laughs) Girl, I don't give a fuck. I do not know. I literally do not know. Anyway. Please. So, we're going to talk about that. And then she also asked us about who we would cast for Evelyn and Celia in the movie adaptation, which is coming to Netflix soon. Um, So we will get to that. But before we do, let me read the hot take from Emily because hers is pretty similar. Hey, Sunny and Renaissance. Last night, I was doing my routine Google search to figure out what Miss Swift is up to and what the media is saying about her when I stumbled across an article talking about how Taylor is being criticized for featuring her music in the upcoming movie adaptation of the book, Where the Crawdads Sing. I was half asleep in TBA I am now, so I didn't really read the article, but I got the gist of what it was saying. Basically, the author of the original book's family is wanted in Zambia for the murder of a man, which was broadcasted on a show they made about their conservation efforts in Africa. This information is now being recognized, and people don't like how Taylor, who claims she loves the book where the crawdads sing and read it years ago, is contributing to making a film adaptation of it. Do you think Taylor is justified? Should she pull out of the movie, or is it too late? Also, her new song, Carolina, has a snippet in the trailer. First off, gay. Second of all, (laughs) the song literally sounds like it could be off of a mix of reputation and folklore, both along with all of the other albums, a few of the world's fruitiest music. It was giving me the Hunger Games vibes, and it's probably the closest thing to a nobody, no crime sequel that we will get. Another thing to acknowledge, Reese Witherspoon is directing the film. Because she's in her movie adaptations phase, and since she is making a Daisy Jones and the Sixth into a TV show with Amazon Prime, could we be getting some Evelyn Hugo content? Not to mention that now Taylor is working with Reese to write some of the soundtrack. There are already many parallels with Taylor and Ev. Could Miss Swift be involved? I think it was either one of you or Katie and Madison from the Archers. (laughs) Love them, of course. (laughs) Interchangeable. (laughs) No. That predicted that Taylor would be doing behind the scenes work this year. Looks like whoever said that was right. 
Hopefully, Taylor <laughs> will at least write some music for the Evelyn Hugo series. I'd like to hear you guys' opinions on who should play who. People on YouTube make videos about it, so I thought it'd be fun to hear what you think. Thanks, Emily. So, because both of these emails are about, like, adaptations and then like the spicy hot takes and of of various famous people getting involved in drama what do you want to start with this renaissance i mean there's <laughs> okay wait wait i i could start anywhere should yeah. we start with evelyn hugo since they both asked for evelyn hugo and then we can address their yeah. So for The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, the fact that it's getting a Netflix mm-hmm. movie, like this is a crime against humanity. Like no, what? No, I'm so upset. Like when I saw it, I was like, okay, well, it's already going to be a flop because it's not a miniseries. It should 100% yeah. be an eight, like one episode for Each all of husband, the husbands. Yes. Maybe like one for Monique's and like one for Celia, obviously. Yeah. Or, like, you know, something about the end. Yeah, it should be between seven so to like, ten episodes of a miniseries. Yeah. That is 100%. Because putting it in a long-ass, like, the Irishman-length film just won't work for the content. <laughs> right. So it's most likely going to be between, like, a 100 to 120-minute, like, right. runtime. Right. And there is just no way to properly adapt all that goes on in the story in the book into that runtime without cutting I think like important like I think every part of the film is important but I think I just I I feel like there are going to be things that are going to be rushed or cut and no matter how they do it it's going to upset a lot of the Evelyn Hugo fans in a way that I think could have been avoided because they're already going to upset a lot of Evelyn Hugo fans. I'm going to be upset regardless. Via the adaptation. Yeah just by even trying to touch this I think they could have avoided a lot of that by doing a miniseries and if they don't have the money for a miniseries they shouldn't even be trying to adapt it in the first place like unless if you don't have the coins to give it then it shouldn't be happening. This adaptation has been in the works for at least three years, from what I know. Like, the yeah. rights for it have been sold and passed around a bit. And I think, like, again... At one point, it was going to be with, like, ABC Family or yeah. whatever ABC Family changed their name to. And everyone was scared. Yeah. People, people were, were scared. And as they should like, be. Like, many people were scared. Like, I think it would have worked so much better as an HBO Max or Amazon Prime show. Because they 1,000%. have the resources to, like, fully flesh out this story in a way that it's, like, meant to be told because it's so cinematic as a book. And I think, like, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo itself as a novel would function better in an original text as a TV show. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that the book yeah. was the best medium for it because... Taylor Jenkins read, reads writing, particularly in this book. Not the best. So I I don't really think that... It's true. I don't think that it should have been in that medium in the first place. It, and because it is now, now you're going to run into the fucking issue that is doing an adaptation of something that is already written to be fundamentally so cinematic and also jumps between so many different characters and perspectives. I'm not happy with this, but also... It's going to be fucking hilarious to see everyone lose their minds because it was hilarious to see everyone lose their minds over the confirmation of Netflix adapting the movie. I don't mm-hmm. know if t- if Taylor Swift is going to write anything for it because I feel like there are too many people clamoring at her like feet and coming for her neck over this shit for that to yeah. even be like a thing. 
to be honest. I mean, I think the I don't connection... think Tree Payne would let it happen. <laughs> I don't think Taylor Swift LLC would let her get something this close about a closeted, like the number one actress in the world being a closeted sapphic having a wife during all these boy, all these husbands. There's actually, like, if, like everyone already it's associates it with Taylor Swift, that it would be a bigger confirmation, even though we both argue that Taylor Swift has already come out many, many times and that other people just don't respect those coming out. I feel like this would be another series of the confirmations. Like, I I don't think she... At this point, with how big Gaylorism has become, mm-hmm. I don't think she would be able to get away with it. It would spark too many conversations. I think the only reason why we got an already existing Taylor Swift song into a TV show like Dickinson was because Dickinson was kind mm-hmm. of a smaller show. She did, never really recognized Evermore in the way that she recognized her other albums. She, you know, like it wasn't, you know, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't written for that. And Ivy wasn't written. Yeah, it wasn't mm-hmm. written for Dickinson. Whereas like, I think it's maybe possible that the soundtrack might use a Taylor Swift song or maybe they might do like a Bridgerton thing where they do like an orchestral cover of a Taylor Swift song during the song like during the movie that would be really cute but I don't think we're gonna get it like Taylor Swift's soundtrack but I think like in maybe like 50 years or however long like rights time out it'd be so cute to have like a jukebox musical version of the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo with Taylor's discography, like how Mamma Mia is like ABBA's music and like We Will Rock You is like Queen, like those types of things. I think it'd be cute if there's like a, almost like a Rocky Horror Picture Show, like kind of like cult, cheesy film musical with like Taylor Swift songs in it. <laughs> yeah. That but I don't think cute. that's what the movie is going right, to right, be. Right, 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 right. The movie is not, it, could, it would never be that iconic. Come on now. There's a, like, no. this is the well, issue. When there's any fandom that creates. Netflix is such creates, a toss up. <laughs> Yeah, okay, see, because there are some Netflix mm-hmm. originals and things that I'm like, and adaptations that are book adaptations that people seem to like or that are generally known as like, okay, this is good, this is legit. And there are mm-hmm. others that are just like, girl, are because you serious? Are you, you cannot be for <laughs> real right now. Like, <laughs> so, I mean. Because like, Netflix makes The Crown, which is a consistently Academy recognized, like one of the number one shows, like for cinematography, like budget down. And then they also make like 50 terrible, terrible movies and shows every year. So mm-hmm. it's like, just because it's by Netflix, that doesn't really give us a grasp on how good it's gonna be versus like HBO Max, Showtime Originals, Amazon Prime Originals. Like they don't have. The ratio of good to bad is just a lot right, different right. for other services. Or even Hulu, because Hulu had Fosse Verdon, which did a huge sweep for their original miniseries. Yeah. So. Yeah, Netflix just does not really have the... It's kind of like when Disney tries to do a reboot of something and everyone is like, why? <laughs> That's what this feels like to me. No, very <laughs> that. Like, uh, it literally feels like that. Yeah, I mean, Whatever. That's how I feel. Whatever. But for the cast, I know Renaissance has strong feelings about casting. And I think we both can agree that we do not want to see anyone that we know. Like, we don't want to see anyone who we recognize. Yes. Like Yes. I had this conversation with Brianna. I don't think Brianna listens. But if she does. I was talking about how I I don't think anyone who's currently famous should 
play it. Like in the way that um, for the role of Diana in The Crown, like Emma was obviously a working actor, but it was mainly like in theater, very like not a big household name to play Diana, a very iconic role that everyone was looking at the casting at. And also I think just for the performance and like any actor who already has like lore about their career just should not be influencing how the audience sees the evolution of Evelyn and Celia. Like, it should just come with a blank slate where we just see the performances and we see the actors and we're not like, oh, this reminds me of Amy Adams' role in this. Or, oh, this actor's obviously using, like, for Harry, using similar characterization that they used for this character. Like, these people need to exist in their own roles. And I just don't think that'd be possible if we had, like, a Jessica Chastain or something. Even though I love Jessica Chastain, I don't want yeah. her to see I also wonder, like, because we are following these characters' lives over the course of, like, many ages, you know? Like, they are yeah. young. They're, like, Evelyn starts out in the book. She starts recollecting her at, like, experiences 16. at 16. And then by the end of the book, she's, like, what? In her 70s or something like that? 80s? Yeah. Like, she's yeah, old. Yeah, like, 81 old. or something. So you're probably going to have to cast quite a few character, quite a few actors for Mm. single characters. Like Monique is going to be a stable person. I think, I think they could probably age up and down like Henry or sorry, Harry, um, her agent. And then, yeah, I mean, spoiler. If you haven't read the seven husbands, Evelyn Hugo, why are you listening to this podcast? (laughs) Why uh, why are you listening to this podcast in general? And also this episode. (laughs) This episode. <laughs> right. But yeah, no. Um, I think Harry it's with men, it's like there's less scrutiny on their appearances, which obviously like the movie and the But book that's also part of the itself book. talks <laughs> like, about. Part of the story. But at the same time, it like it, it, I think it, we can only really have two characters at most have varying actors play varying ages you know what i mean like i just don't think Mm -hmm. it would end up it's not a stage play where you can insert 12 people playing the same or have two people play this eight roles like you know it's a fucking movie Mm -hmm. like you can't do that so i'm not sure how they're gonna do that that's also why a mini series would have been better because you could have different actors for like every two episodes like in the crown how they change out like in the next season queen elizabeth is going to be played by a completely different actress than it has for the previous seasons like each actress only did two seasons so if it was a mini series for like an episode or every two episodes they could have a different actress i mean even if it wasn't a mini series even say if it were like an extended like show and they were going to add more text to the original text Mm -hmm. i think that could even work considering taylor jenkins reed i think is on the writing board of this movie like i think even having like each season be dedicated to two different people or something like that would, and then giving more background, fleshing that shit out more, maybe even getting more of Monique's cut-ins where it's like a proper TV show where you're following three different perspectives. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that shit would work better than whatever the fuck they're doing. (laughs) See, but then that's also the problem of why I'm like, okay, this is obviously going to be a 120 minute. Like this, there's already like, People love this story and the fans are fucking as feral as we are. Not because the writing is good, not because we think this is like going into any like fucking time capsule of like height of literature at this point. (laughs) It's because we love these characters. So if anything, Mm -hmm. instead of 
shaving down the story. Like you said, they should be fleshing this out, making this, like, giving the audience what they want because what the audience wants to see is Evelyn and Celia. We want to see the dresses. We want to see the red carpet. Like, this isn't a new adaption of, like, Macbeth or something, like the Scottish play, you know? Like, it's not like you have to stay to the original text because it's not even why people, like, read the book in the first place. Like, we read it to see the story unfold. That's the nature of adaptations in general, right? Like, when you're working on Mm -hmm. an adaptation, it's like, what are are the parts of the story that you're going to really pull out and what are the ones that you're not? And I'm afraid... I, I fear. <laughs> I think I they're fear. gonna make the wrong choice. I think they're gonna like yeah. add more of like the French husband and add more of like Dawn or whatever, and like cut back on major Evelyn and Celia scenes. Because and the- that like <laughs> Netflix will not see the light of day if they fuck this up. I think. I mean, like, whatever, whatever. We'll stop ranting about Evelyn and Celia yeah. now. But I mean, it's not like we have a whole ass episode. Like, I think our season two premiere. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah. season three premiere is me talking about the seven husbands. The only thing I will say, the only thing that I am looking forward to is that if it's good, like if it looks good, the edits that come out of this <laughs> are going to be in fucking sane. And I'm going to no, be the edits right are gonna there. Go like, crazy. The fan cams, like even if we don't get a Taylor, Sw- Taylor Swift song for this, the amount of Taylor Swift audios that are going to be used for no, edits exactly. for this movie. Like, Whenever Every Taylor song. Swift, when Taylor Swift dropped the song. fucking 10-minute all-too-well short film, people have been making edits from that. And that's fucking yeah. 13 minutes of, like, content, you know? This shit is going to be, like, an hour to two hours. So people are going to be cutting this shit up regardless. Uh, yes. <laughs> which You're going to get multiple fan cams of, like, every character. And of like, every you know song. going to be, like... And with the new Charlie album and Harry being a twink ass <laughs> motherfucker, you know we're gonna get yeah. Harry twink yeah. edits. Like it's yeah. just gonna happen. Yeah. So that's one thing to look forward to, but that's only if it like looks good. Because if it doesn't, then we're yeah. screwed. Yeah. Like if they use their fucking like TikTok movie camera shit on that, it's over. Game right, over. Right. If the dresses look cheap, game over. <laughs> so. Oh God. Anyways, so, okay, with the Where the Crawdads Sing, another book-to-movie adaptation. Mm -hmm. So, I, this book was getting hype on BookTube, BookTok, Bookstagram a couple years ago really heavily. Bookstagram. Stop comboing book. You can't just shove book in the Bookstagram is a thing. It's a thing. People say Bookstagram all the time. Bookstagram has been a thing for a while. I'm sure it's a thing. But, like, just the sound of it makes me aggravated. It's like, whatever, bitch. You're just a fucking Like, for Snapchat. (laughs) Bitch. Anyway, so the book talkers are, like, freaking out. And also, just like, it's just such, it's a national bestseller. You know what I mean? Like, bitches have read this book. People Mm -hmm. know this fucking story. It's kind of similar to The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, in which people, a lot of people have read and loved this book. I I get the gist of it, uh, but I'm not going to read it for the reasons that was described by Emily, because I, I, I've known of the fact that the author who wrote this book, like, literally, like, killed people (laughs) and fucking zombia for uh, at least a year now, I'm pretty sure. Like, it's been known as a thing, so I was just never going to read the book despite the amount of praise that it was getting. But I think with the movie adaptation, the trailer looks beautiful. And obviously the song, like Carolina as a song, is stunning from what we've heard. So we'll probably end up doing an episode on the movie eventually. And If like, I'm being honest, I'll probably pirate it. There's no way I'm giving money to that fucking movie. I mean, I think... So it might be a while. I think that the... 
like we were saying, actually, I was just listening to our Russian Doll episode where we were talking about like directors and who makes movies and what makes the, you know what I mean? I feel like the rights have already been sold off for this book for years now at this point. It's kind of similar to the Evelyn Hugo situation. When a book's rights have been sold to a production company, it's just like the off, the author's not really going to be making any more money off of it. It's going to, it's the production company and everyone who's involved in like, the making of the movie, the actors, the, the crew, etc. So like, I don't really, I don't really feel bad i guess about like i think that this author has already received the acclaim that she has and it there's just no way that it's going to go up or down based off of this movie i feel like i think that she's going to end up having six-figure book deals for the rest of her life if she continues writing regardless and i mean i just like it doesn't really matter to me i also think that the way that this movie like i feel like from what i know of the book the movie is going to be a better rendition of the story in that it's so based in like atmosphere and suspense and tension, which can be flushed out in a movie really well. Kind of like how the Gone Girl adaptation film is like mm-hmm. all lauded as a piece of media in itself as opposed to just as an adaptation because yeah. the movie stands on its own as good. I don't know how good this movie is going to be, but considering the budget from what we've seen and the fact that Taylor Swift was fucking writing a software, which means that the budget is f- fucking ginormous. Like, inshallah. Like, if if anything, this movie has to be good. Like, it has to be good. There's just, there, there's no way that they're putting out this much energy into making this. But anyway, I feel like if Where the Crawdads Sing um, and Taylor having read it, a few years back and loving it that just confirms to me that there's no way that she hasn't read the seven husbands of evelyn hugo (laughs) because these two books were kind of like on the internet in bookish spaces they were they this kind of had from what i remember a similar era of rise to fame like the same types of people really Mm -hmm. like these books they're very like mass media consumable like like the same types of people meaning a really large portion of the general audience is really attracted to these types of stories about young women who are face ostracization or in a particular community and examining that community that insular space and then also that woman and how she is perceived like they're both like that and they both sort of are about like a particular very specific sort of environment like the swamplands the marshlands for where the crawdads sing and then hollywood for the seven husbands of evelyn hugo and i don't know i just think there's some parallels there and i think because taylor swift is beating the gay allegations she instead of writing (laughs) something for something as it's not as obvious i think to write to write Mm -hmm. something for a movie like where the crawdads sing a book to movie adaptation like this as opposed to writing for something like seven husbands of Evelyn hugo which is another movie book to movie adaptation yeah it seems like somewhat of a like a substitute situation for her. The same way that she's sort of entangled yeah. in the Sally Rooney universe, despite never having directly engaged with it. You know what I mean? Like, it's because very true. I'm so excited for the song, though. I'm so I I cannot wait yeah. for Carolina. It's so beautiful from what we've heard. But okay, I think that it's so funny that this book is being compared to like To Kill a Mockingbird or whatever. <laughs> like what? <laughs> Like, that shit made me, it makes me cackle, to be honest, like. How I came to know about the book was 
when Reese Witherspoon had it as like her book of the month for the book club that she does, like the big book club, it's kind of like Oprah, like, you know, so it had like the little sticker of like, oh, this was chosen for like Reese Witherspoon's book of the month. And because I'm on MILF film Twitter, I have, I'm mutuals with a lot of Reese Witherspoon stands and Reese Witherspoon stand adjacent. And everyone was like, um, why would Reese recommend this book or have this book as like one of her official picks? Because of the history of like the author and her family and like the scandal that happened. So that's when I found out about it. And obviously Reese is still connected to now the film project of it. So I knew about it and was like, that's strange, that's weird, from a different blonde woman that I <laughs> sometimes consume the content of. And I think like, it's like, mm, not, great I think obviously like the rights have been sold the financial movement is like of the movie isn't going directly to the author but I think having this conversation about like should this praise have been given like should this be a film that gets an adaption and that obviously has this budget when there are so many movies and scripts and projects that are not written by authors or not connected to authors who have this history at all who are struggling to get funding who get cut from big networks and all this stuff so i think that that conversation is important to have that's just true like, for hollywood period like exactly gets, but like just like, like in, the way that in consumers hollywood. like media consumers Cons you know like people will eat mm -hmm. up shit that feels good right it's like that's why things that are there's reason why there are books that are that appeal to a mass audience as opposed to books that appeal mm -hmm. to like a specific one i guess and i think like or a more niche one and i think that does say not to be a snob but that does say stuff about your taste and like and what you value yeah. in stories and stuff and I think that the way, you know, Hollywood, it just follows the money, you know, like it ultimately that's exactly. So when something that is really big is really big, like they, they see it's a cash grab. Everything is fucking everything is obviously, but like, it's which just, I'm not saying is like specific to this film, but I'm just saying like in another time or even like 15, 20 years ago, if this was happening, there wouldn't even be the conversation or the criticism of like, why is Hollywood even directing their money in this way? So even though it's already in the process, the rights have been sold for years, like, we already have the trailer. Like, it's already shot. Like, we're yeah. getting this film no matter what. I just appreciate that there's, like, how about next some time? Sort if of a different book right, some sort <laughs> comes of like, on the table. What's the word? I keep on forgetting words today. What's wrong with me? Some sort of, not flash backlash why do I, why did I want to say flash yeah backlash I'm glad that there is backlash and I'm glad yeah. that there was backlash around the book itself because I remember seeing interviews of the because the author of where the crawdad saying she like published it when she was later in life like in in her like 50s she had already like moved that. back to Idaho I think because that's where they live now yeah it, it had been decades essentially like she it's been a while and also she, she, this was her first book, like, Where the Crawdads Sing was her debut novel, and she wrote it and published it sort of later in life, you know? So I remember seeing interviews and people being like, guys, like, follow your passion, like, you don't have to be any particular age to, like, be successful or whatever, with snippets mm -hmm. of her interview. 
and stuff like that. Like, so I remember seeing that and I was like, right. <laughs> right. As a Swifting getting a new song, I must say, though, like on my broken ass iPod that you all saw for a 1989 episode, uh-huh. one of the Taylor songs that I had on there was her Hunger Games songs, um, Safe and Sound. And I still love Safe and Sound. Yeah. And the song honestly reminded me more of um, Yellow Flicker Beat, which was Lord's yes. song for the Hunger Games yeah. soundtrack. And obviously, like, Lord and Taylor both work with Jack Antonoff, so them having... And obviously are friends and inspire each other. Right. But that's, like, kind of what it was giving. And for me, like, the Hunger Games soundtrack, like, when those singles dropped, like, big day. Big, big day. day for the Renaissance community. So to kind of get that feeling again, since it has been, like, 10 years that's kind of fun and like obviously I enjoy a new Taylor Swift song like whether or not I mean I'll probably watch the movie for the podcast of course and because um Daisy Edgar Jones is in it who's in Normal People and I love Normal People the show and the book so a a lot of a lot of faves are associated with this and I do like Reese Witherspoon yeah no I think she's at the forefront of adapting like because that bitch reads you know what I mean so like the fact that She, she which like is so amazing. Well, because she is like, uh, was in Big Little Lies, which is also an adaption. And so she loves to read a book and be like, Yeah. Little Fires I Everywhere. should make that. Yeah. Little Fires Everywhere was another one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. She loves. Reese Witherspoon is in her big, a thriller. Big book to screen. An emotional thriller, yeah. which is what Where the Crawdads Sing seems to be as well. So that's, yeah. that's her genre of, of book, I guess. And she was in Walk the Line, too, which was the um, biopic for Johnny Cash, who had, mm. like, a really popular autobiography, too. Gotcha. So I think I think she's always been a, a literature babe. Right, right. Yeah, I Good mean... For her. Oh, okay. And now for the Will Smith slap. <laughs> <laughs> this... Okay, straight up, I'm not saying that it was planned or planted for, like... Like, some people think it was, like... To get the ratings up, to get people talking about the Oscars again. And people are talking about the Oscars again, I guess. Exactly. So I'm not ruling it out, but I'm not like, oh, it was 100% staged. Right, right. But as someone who doesn't, who barely even knows who Will Smith and Chris right, Rock right, right. are. Exactly. What, what are your thoughts, Sunny? So as someone who does not know who either of these people are, nor do I really care, I feel like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like the amount of backlash around this is just so fucking stupid and hilarious because yeah. like it's been a week like why are we still talking it's been weeks it's been so long why and are i saw a new headline about it like I'm what like, no i think it's because Will Smith I'm like, there's got- no way that people could genuinely care this much like someone has to be paying for these headlines at this point no one can be caring for this i mean long. the the twitter blue check journalists seem to give a fuck like but it's like you guys are so delusional. <laughs> like, what? I'm like, is there not a pandemic? Like, right. is there not? Like, I feel like... The energy being directed at here is just so... Why? Like, genuinely why? Like, it should have been trending for 24, 36, maybe 48 hours max. People post their memes, whatever, little jokey jokes. Uh-huh. And then and move then, on. But alas. But it's been a week, You're and right. we're still here. Right. And I think, like... Well, okay. Today, as we were recording this, Will Smith has been banned from the Oscars for 10 years. <laughs> Genuinely? What? I can't. What? And everyone's talking about how, like, the, the, um, 
I'm, this is the third time I'm forgetting a word. The... The academy? No. The unevenness, the inequality, the... The, mm-hmm. the sort of different level of energy the academy is giving to this, as opposed to the, you know, continual and well-known and well-documented sexual violence among yeah. a lot of their winners and nominees who show up every year. Like, yeah. it's... You know what I mean? Obviously, it's... hip. It's hypocrisy and it's racism and it's bullshit, but it's like the Academy is so unserious. Like it would be funny if Woody Allen and like Roman Polanski and Harvey Weinstein still didn't have their Oscars. Right. Like if they had taken care of all of those people and like Mel Gibson, I don't know if Mel Gibson has an Oscar like as part of the Academy, but just generally the like very well-known bad people of Hollywood. Cause there's people that we probably still don't know about, but like there's some who like, it's no, no, yeah. you know, like there's the charges Academy, like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Like if the Academy and just the Hollywood as like an institution had dealt with those appropriately, at the time and then like this happened and people were like oh that's kind of absurd or silly then people could make more jokes about it and it would be I mean it'd be sad or whatever because like Will Smith is an actor who's been famous for literal decades and has been a part of many major like serious films and just very popular franchises like the Men in Black franchise and the Prince of Bel-Air like he's just such a well-known actor and so to see him be treated this way and other abusers still hold their wins and still be allowed to go to all these awards, award shows. Okay, and what gets me is that if you watch the video, Chris Rock doesn't try and push him away. He doesn't even stumble. Like if a slap, like a slap, when you get slapped, you physically cannot stop yourself from crying. Chris Rock doesn't even get choked up. Like he continues speaking afterwards. Yeah. So I'm like, it's not like he gave him a black eye. It's not like it was a knockout <laughs> on stage. Right. Like and Chris also Rock like, isn't even pressing charges. Yeah. So why is Will Smith right. being banned? Yeah. And also like this is how <laughs> men should act when their partner is being disrespected. Period. You know what I mean? Okay. Like right. Will Smith isn't even the one in the complete wrong here because Chris Rock was the one who's making fun of Jada Smith's hair and like her condition with alopecia. I'm I'm pretty sure that's what the condition is, but mm-hmm. like like Jada Smith has been voluntarily bald and I but mm-hmm. I think like recently it has been uh, I- ambiguous mm-hmm. whether it's voluntary or involuntary and and I'm pretty sure it was confirmed that that joke wasn't even a part of the script. It wasn't even on the teleprompter. So Chris Rock just said that unprovoked about a black woman in the audience. Mm -hmm. But you're banning Will Smith Mm -hmm. for defending his wife? Yeah. I mean, men barely act like men today, you know? like (laughs) When a man acts like a man and you punish him for it, what is going on? What is going on? Like, look at on our streets. We have men wearing skinny jeans. We have men with consistently tighter jeans than mine. ordering frappuccinos and you are... We have men ordering white bean frappuccinos with the whipped cream on top at Starbucks. And you're banning Will Smith for hitting a man? You see what's wrong with society? come to at the like like if we had (laughs) stalin and lenin and marx today (laughs) let me tell you they would they would be congratulating will smith for behaving like a man as a man should because what 
What is this? Right. What is this? We have people fawning over Timothy Chalamet, <laughs> and you're mad at Will Smith for being a man? Like, uh, that. We, we need to grapple with the true ills of society, <laughs> you know? And I feel like this is misdirected. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Upsetness. Okay, anyway, you have to go to the movies now, right? Yeah, okay. I do. Well, like, right now. We'll be back. We'll be back. So, Renaissance just had a harrowing experience on many levels. Yeah. Of going to see everything everywhere all at once. You know, I rated the movie five stars on Letterboxd. You rated it five stars on Letterboxd, I just saw. I did. I so, did. So, we... Did you see my review? Um, I think I did, but I don't remember what it said exactly. Let me go look again. Get your reaction for the pod. Oh, Turning Red, if it slayed. See, I haven't yeah. seen Turning Red, so I wouldn't know. Well, Everything Everywhere is... A kind of similar plot, but much better in every single way imaginable. So. <laughs> well, Turning Red is an animated kids movie, so I feel like, like I the standards no, are a bit but different. Like, but it's it's like I rated Turning Red like two and a half stars, but I rated like Encounter. Like it's not that it's a children's movie because a children's movie can be good. It Turning Red wants what Everything Everywhere All at Once has, you know? Yeah. In terms of what, like I don't really know the comparison going on here. Well, because it's both about this fraught mother-daughter relationship about being a different version than who your mom thought you would be, while also grappling with the multiverse. So yeah, everything everywhere. I feel like I've seen nothing but praise for this movie, because all of my friends in Letterboxd have rated it five stars or four and a half stars, mostly five. Oh, speaking of Letterboxd, I love that for the watched emoji, it's one of the googly eyes. Like, ugh, that's, that's so adorable. Sly. Yeah, it's the googly like eyes. On um the portrait of a lady on fire, it's little flames instead of the stars. Yeah. I yeah. love when Letterboxd does, like, does a little yeah. change for the movie. Yeah, a little sleigh. A, mm-hmm. a dash of sleigh for, exactly. for the interface users. I haven't read any, like, review, like, proper film reviews of this movie, but I'm afraid to because I don't want to lose the magic that was, like, experiencing it and then walking out having your mind fucking blown, you know? Yeah. I heard that the directors turned down a Marvel offer in order to make this movie. I saw that there were two producers with the last name Russo, but I forgot to Google if those were the Russo brothers or not. I think Marvel was like, hey, like, make a multiverse movie for us. And they were like, no, we're going to do this with, like, A24. And... (laughs) I mean... Honestly, a slave. If that's decision. not practice, praxis, then I don't know what it is. Exactly. You know? Like bring back good sci-fi action movies. You know what I mean? Like bring back those campy, women-led sci-fi action movies that have heart at the core of it. That's not just like shitty bathos and like banter. I was gonna say, like, this movie deserves so much praise for having, like, a milfy, like, genuinely <laughs> middle-aged woman yeah, as yeah, the badass yeah. protagonist superhero right? in this film, when yeah. it could have, like, easily been the husband or whatever, who's, like, the mm-hmm. main center character, and mm-hmm. then the wife, like, like as if they had switched roles, you know? And I feel like that's how like traditionally or typically yeah. films like actually like action action films right 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 would be instead like the two men kind of take on the like mentor roles but it's really mm-hmm. about the mom's 
like journey and her perspective. Yeah, yeah. And you just and like an older mom too, like not like yeah a mom in like her late twenty, you know, like yeah, in yeah, a kids yeah. movie or something. Like I was like, yeah, this slays. Like this slays so yeah. hard. Yeah, she does. I mean, it's the MILF era. <laughs> big, big time for MILF actresses out there. No, it's it's a good day for MILF lovers of the world. And yeah. I think... Of I mean, course, I, that'd be my first, the first thing that I noticed about the movie. Because yeah, I'm like, right, the MILF representation here Yeah, that's, that's the flavorful. focus. Of mm-hmm. course. Joy, the character, her costumes throughout were crazy like whoa like this is what euphoria wants to serve and Mm -hmm. doesn't you know what i mean like these are like the avant-garde costumes and makeup looks that just like slayed the entire movie i knew that i had seen this actress before who plays the daughter and i couldn't pinpoint her for the love of god and then i just googled her and she was in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which if you follow me on Instagram, you definitely know is one of my favorite shows. Or if you follow me on Twitter for that much. But yeah, she slays in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel too. But she looks incredibly different. Stephanie Hsu slayed. Like, yeah. Michelle Yeoh, like, ate. Left no crumbs, I fear. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and their I mean, chemistry together was yeah. so good. Like, they were both, like, acting Yes, you know, when you're yes. just like, damn, that really is, a, like, that's a skill. Like, not everyone right. can do what you're giving <laughs> right now, you know? Yeah. No, because their emotional scenes go crazy. Like, the tears, their eye contact, those that those moments. You really of, like, feel like there's, like, millions of universes writing yeah. on this moment or whatever. Yeah. And, like, and like if the stakes feel so real between them. Exactly, and it's like the the exist the world building itself is formatted around their relationship, and the relationship mm-hmm. furthers that world, and the world furthers their relationship, and that's the dynamic of that's that's how sci fi universes should be built. One in which yeah. the character and the environment are are ultimately one and the same because they're both saying like the same thing, like the fact that the enemy of the universe is her own daughter, and she. Mm-hmm. And her own daughter takes on these many different forms. She doesn't comprehend. It's sort of like, obviously, it's obviously an extension of the reality, the the universes that separate mother and daughter in general. And obviously, like, there's the cultural divide. There's the, there's this misunderstanding. There's this fact, there's like this, there's, there's completely different backgrounds that informs that divide that is so deep that like a in a way that a ladybird could never really present like even if like a ladybird type movie was made about these two characters right a complicated mother and daughter relationship the capacity of a universe limited to the reality of our world just would not really have worked to the capacity that this movie really does because this movie takes on this multiverse in such a way um i also like one of my favorite jokes in it was the ratatouille raccoon raccoon joke that was that was so so funny. funny like that's something that my parents so would 100% do. Like, that's something that, like, <laughs> like my, like, when, you're, when your parent, like, does not remember the proper noun of the <laughs> thing that they're trying to describe, mm-hmm. 
and they just say the most batshit thing. Random. And it's like yes. fucking hilarious. But like you're so annoyed at them for even thinking that in the first place you can't even you're like, <laughs> what what are you talking about? And we see those scenes play out and it's just yeah. fucking perfect. Because yeah. <laughs> like it's so good. And it, I, I that love that was one of my favorite jokes. <laughs> and the fact that the father was like the the comedic relief, like that's just like so real. Like and even like the grandpa almost functions as like like a comic relief situation and like that is so I feel like that's so true for for women in families right like the men in the family are just kind of like oh my god like you just have to deal with them and then but like what is really at the center of the complex like emotional relationships really comes down to the mother-daughter dynamic because we've seen so many movies and there's so much media out there that's about the complexities of a father-son relationship and with the mother and the sisters as, like, the side pieces, um, sort of instigating elements of the relationship but not being the active, like, thing being explored. And this movie really mm-hmm. turns out on its head in, in a really significant way that, I, that, that does it in a way that isn't, like, girl boss, like all-female Ghostbusters adaptation. It's, like, genuine, and it comes from an actual place of meaningful storytelling. Just, yeah. Anyway, what else did you think? One thing that I think, like, just should be noted is I love the use of lighting in Mm. this movie. Like, maybe it's because I love Assassination Nation or Mm. just colored lights. Like, I have color lights in my room that aren't on right now. But when, like... things were happening and then you saw the light move across their face like the source of the light Mm -hmm. going like around and around with the different colors I just Mm -hmm. ate it up every single time like I was just Mm. like yes because not enough movies do that and I think that the way that this movie plays with time and plays with color like they don't hold back they don't limit Mm -hmm. themselves like there's never enough light or colors or things happening on the screen like they're like all of it all literally yeah. everything everywhere all at once like you exactly. see it and you feel it and I think that they're probably I mean I didn't miss like the beginning but were there like triggers for um epilepsy because there's this one moment in the scene where the lights are flashing so freaking fast and I'm like uh-huh. bro but I, I loved seeing it for someone who does not have that disability because you just never see it on film. Like, you just never see that use of, of sharp montage, like, at any speed in film. Mm, yeah. And so I yeah. just think, I think, it's like, the creative choices that obviously help build the universe, like, I think are kind of on the surface level. But mm-hmm. I think should still be, like, noted and appreciated just because it's not, like, we've seen it a bunch or at least seen it a bunch in like recent films. Yeah. It's not something that is really done. The, the those really short clips right after the mm-hmm. other, the really overwhelming. Outside of like Marvel movies, which yeah. is probably why the Russo brothers wanted this film and mm-hmm. didn't. But I think mm-hmm. that it's like meaningful. And it's utilized in a way that Marvel wouldn't use it to be about. Like, that's not... The purpose of these montages is to ultimately flesh out the character of Evelyn. It's... And, like, the... Because we get these alternate universe 
selves from her and they take actual clips of the actress like on the um on the crazy rich asians like red carpets and stuff and like yeah that part was so dope i was like not the fan cam moment in the middle of a movie right now (laughs) i was like expecting like a doja cat or flo millie song to start playing i'm dead (laughs) oh and the fact that it's like a three (gasps) act structure everything Mm -hmm. everywhere all at once like so brilliant the one detail that i really really loved is that I don't know if this is a spoiler or not. So uh, watch the movie. This is yeah. this is a, a tiny, tiny little thing. One of the jokes in the universes is that uh, the mom, who's the mom, Evelyn, Evelyn. and Deidre, 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 are lesbian Deirdre. lovers with <laughs> hot dog hands or hot dog yes, fingers. The hot dog fingers. And they have this like giant cat poster in their lesbian lover apartment and it's very funny. <laughs> but the detail that I liked is in the very first fight scene between Deidre and Evelyn or the first time that we see Evelyn or sorry, first time that we see Deidre fight. Which, if you read the article with Chris Fleming, you already know that there was a fight scene with Deidre. So, you should have read that. But the music playing, I was like, this is such odd music to be playing in this fight scene right now. And then, in the second act of the film, that is the song that Deidre plays with her feet on the piano in their lesbian lover scene. It's the same song on the piano. And it's like a really popular like classical piece. I don't know the name of it though, but I it's like a very recognizable piece. And when they had like referenced that from the first scene, I was like, that's why that was the song behind that fight scene. I was like, y'all are so dumb. Like y'all are so y'all just be putting jokes anywhere now nowadays in these movies. It was like, and then it was like spliced with the footage of her feet on the piano, and I was like, get those concrete grippers away. Concrete grippers. Yeah, that was one of my favorite jokes in the movie. God, the the hot dog hand universe, like that was what? in the review. Yeah, it was like, two and a half stars. Not to out my oomph right now. I just want to say their name, but they said there's no way you people are serious with these ratings. If it had stuck to being a story about family and the multiverse without the bagel of doom slash hot dog hand slash anal prenati Oh my gosh, slash anal penetration, slash cringe dialogue. I really believe this could have been one of the best films of the year, but the addition of all of them just ruins the tone and any real moment that is captured due to the cast. Also, the fact that Michelle and husband only had chemistry in the alternate universe was so question mark and oversight in writing. Well, this is the thing though. All those humorous elements and all those ridiculous campy moments is what mm-hmm. and like the the extravagance of the bagel of doom and the stupidity of it is what makes the movie like good. Like you don't need That's exactly just what I think hard hitting, tonally deep, like emotional shit for a movie about family to really work. There's a lot of movies about family that are like that, that are stuck in and that are maintained in and contained within the reality of our existing universe of what we know and within our own imaginations and with no, like, 
like over the top humor, but I think this movie takes the over the top humor and the over the top like bullshit because it is something that is inherent to familial relationships like it even like Evelyn spends so much of the movie trying to convince her daughter and her husband that like some weird shit is going on it -hmm. takes like the halfway point of the movie for them to realize oh right some weird shit is going on (laughs) and I think like that is something that a lot of superhero movies and a lot of action movies just never really contend with in their world building or it's just a given that everyone knows the the parameters of the universe but this movie does not do Mm -hmm. that it evelyn is thrust into it with zero knowledge as is the audience we're like what the fuck is going on she's like what the fuck is going Mm -hmm. on as she's trying to figure out what's going on we're trying to figure out what's going on and as she does as she starts to understand like the the stakes she then needs to really communicate that to the people in her life who like all people are are more concerned with their own issues than what is than her issues because everyone is concerned with their own thing her daughter is is like worried about bringing her girlfriend around her grandpa her husband is worried about their marriage her like she, she is worried about the state of the laundromat and the fucking irs auditing so like they're mm-hmm. all focused on their thing they're that is something that's intrinsic to the writing the motivation there and then because everyone has their own motivation there's this like it gets all it tumbles over it gets smacked over its head with the reality that there is multiverses and she needs to defeat this great evil who oh is actually her daughter like Mm -hmm. i think that that is what makes this movie what it is and that's why people are really enjoying it because it's so ridiculous and Mm -hmm. like family relationships are ridiculous there's it's mo like even i think the line about how there's no chemistry between between the mom and the dad like i don't think that's true i think like the initial portrayals in in the first few scenes before the introduction of the multiverse even comes in or even in the snippets where sh- her husband is just her husband and not the other husband like yeah. those scenes like there is chemistry there but it's the but it's the real relationship it's like what a relationship looks like after you've been through that much over 30 years like you it's just like there's not gonna be the the romance and tenderness of of the present day as you do in the in the other universes or in your past self because that's the nature of relationships that's the nature of a lot of people's like realities like a lot especially with immigrant parents who are like going through a lot like i don't know anyone's parents who are really affectionate with each other because people like you have you have shit to do like let's get serious here and even the husband whenever he tries to do cute shit she's like girl get that away from me like we need to be on top like we have to get our fucking like we cannot have our asses handed to us by the irs like she has her concerns and he has his concerns and i don't think i think their relationship and the way it's portrayed is is a strength of the movie as is the campiness of it I thought they had chemistry and I think you really see the arc of their relationship. It kind of feels more like an onion or it kind of like unpeeled is so because like definitely towards the end of the movie or towards the climax and then the end of the movie, like you definitely have this new 
understanding and appreciation for their relationship. Mm -hmm. So I understand, like, if they only watched the first couple of minutes or scenes or, like, the first IRS scene, why they might say this, because, like, Mm -hmm. the initial contrast is obviously quite drastic. But throughout the movie, I feel like that's not... That's just not accurate, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think it... it, it undersells the quality of the writing and the performances of the two actors and and how they portrayed the relationship because I feel like you really you really see that so I don't I don't agree with that and I also think that like it's the camp like you said like the camp is what makes it fun like it is a camp movie so you can't take out the silliness of the bagel and hot dog hands and like the fact that the IRS has trophies that are shaped like anal plugs that's funny (laughs) That's funny. That's funny to think of right. an HR worker at the IRS having to buy, like, tens of anal plug trophies every year. That's funny that Deidre is proud of having multiple anal plugs on her desk. Like, that is funny. So I, right. I don't right. think that that criticism works. And then also, again, not to tear Umfi apart, by saying that it's, like, I don't think it's cringe dialogue. I think it's using the cliche, knowing that it's using a cliche, and then using that for its own strength. Like, the reason mm-hmm. why there are some lines that we've heard in other places, or that are very typical of, like, action movies, Marvel, like, multi-universe mm-hmm. superhero movies, is because it, like, using language that people know in this genre mm-hmm. is able to communicate a lot of information to the audience in a very efficient way, but mm-hmm. also... That works within the movie itself because the characters have to convey a lot of information in a very efficient way, especially in some of the moments. So if, like, you actually watch the movie back again, like, any of the moments where you think the movie is becoming, like, referential of other films, like, it's usually in in, in those kinds of moments. And I think it's, like, playing out to the strengths because Evelyn is trying to figure out as much as she can, like you said, at the same time the audience is trying to figure out as much as they can. So if if we're going to recognize patterns of other film genres, Evelyn is going to use that prediction skills to help her navigate and figure out what the fuck is going on. So yeah. I think because like, every universe she has to adopt into mm-hmm. and a, 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 figure out the rules, accumulate yeah. the skills. Yeah, so sort other of, Evelyn's. like, assimilate into the, the bodies of these other mm-hmm. versions of herself in a way that, like, but it is, it is like, those different, those cutaways to the different universes where she is a movie star and she has that, those, that, those scenes outside in the rain with her husband, who isn't her husband I in love, this multiverse. Yeah, is it that they only have chemistry in the alternate universe? So maybe they're talking about the actors, but I thought... Those scenes, those are my favorite cutaways of when she was the actress. Like, I just thought they both looked so <laughs> good. She was, like, the the famous actress watching the movie, and then the movie mm-hmm. was another one of the universes that she was Yeah, that was in. so funny. That was so... And then, oh, the part... Yeah. Because that's the part... I was telling you how, when I saw this movie, there were two old mm-hmm. French ladies sitting right next to me. And when that the credits rolled for like actress Evelyn multiverse watching the movie when the credits rolled for that they like got annoyed and like got up to leave but 
But then when they realized, like, that's not the actual end of, like, the film film, it's just, like, the film inside the film, they, like, were, like, okay. And they, they walked back and sat back down. <laughs> that's like, so funny. It's just, like, so funny because, again, it, that is another direct sort of explicit example of what you're saying in which it takes, this movie takes on the conventions that we understand through the language of film in other films to in in a meta way it's a it's like a meta mm-hmm. it's a it's a multiverse it's, it's a, a meta, meta camp <laughs> multiverse another club another club playing another club like, the plot of the movie is playing another club another club, another club us. playing <laughs> like no they, they go everywhere and like it, mm-hmm. it has to rely on these conventions of the the those silly sort of played out tropes of the movie in the movie the the heartfelt sort of conversation what could have been yeah the heartfelt conversations that turn into jokes the the jokes that are purely like physical and visual from what you can see it relies on these conventions because this movie is it's like a play on movies in itself it's a movie yeah. about like movies it's a mo- and it, and thus it takes on the characteristics of of what a movie is and then totally like restructures it and just rearranges it right in front of your face and it's like fucking it's fucking crazy and it's just a delight honestly there's not a single moment when you're watching this where you're not like what the fuck is going to happen next like you're yeah. i was on the edge of my fucking seat bro and the whole time it's like, a visual, like, feast. Like, there's so much to look at. And there's so much going on. And, yeah, I mean, it's it's like what I was saying in my Letterboxd review. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's kind of like how... It's the delight that I felt watching when I watch Birds of Prey when all the girlies are kicking ass. And it's also, like, campy and fun oh, and bright colors. It was with the security guards. I think it was when we see Joy fight for the first time. Or one of her first fights. And obviously she's killing these people, but the first guy that she kills turns into confetti, like throws yeah. up confetti and then burst. And then the other one, yeah, it is joy because then she's like, it's organic and it's ketchup. It is so funny. Um, mm-hmm. But like all these people who she's clearly killing, but are dying mm-hmm. and like, it's like chocolate that comes out instead of blood or the confetti or like and that reminded me of when harley Harley walks into into the princing yeah and where the jail cell is and then like the cannon is like paintballs and confetti and all that stuff and then like their blood is also like confetti instead of like their Mm -hmm. head being blown off exactly and i was like the girlies who get it get it exactly exactly like you don't need uh, an action film to be gritty for it mm-hmm. to be still violent and fun, you know? Like No, like and- it's fighting basically non-stop, but there's comedy, there's camp, there's cinematography, yeah. bound, there's also like horror elements to it. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Like um when when Deirdre was like a was multiverse Deirdre for the first time and she was stalking yeah. them in the office, who was scared? I was scared. I no, was really scared. <laughs> it was one thing I was also gonna say is Jamie Lee Curtis ate down in this no, movie devoured. for no reason. Like, like <laughs> literally, her character didn't require her to go that hard. Like it was like she. Pu- 
put her whole Jamie Louie Curtussy into this role, I fear. <laughs> like, like, so good. And oh, she's, like, God. also, like, one of the few white characters. It's, like, Jamie Lee Curtis and the girlfriend. Yeah. And, like, yeah. that's it. <laughs> she goes off for genuinely no reason. It's also Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, she's a nepotism baby who's been working for decades, but she really uh-huh. felt to make her mark on this film. And I'm, like, Slay Queen. <laughs> like, you literally could have thrown in the towel. Like, right. wow. Like, did you, you don't have to do this, this crazy role? shit. No, uh-huh. like exactly. Yeah. I'm like, who did you push to get into this role? Like, hello. Uh, like she was I, acting okay. like this was like her debut breakout role, like to get her on the map. And she, she was like, acting she like so rent hard. was due. Like, no, like literally, like she must have bought another house. Like, where are the receipts? Because, <laughs> like, did was the payment on the yacht due? Like, what it was so urgent that you had to eat? And then when she like she was way too comfortable playing lesbian Deidre. In that Help. universe, like she was like Help. in it, and I was like, "Wow, right. wow, yeah." What is what I mean, a side to see of Jamie Lee Curtis? <laughs> Even the movie poster is just so fun. Like it's an literally everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, and it is in this like Chinese, like comic book type style of like design, almost. And again, with the Birds of Prey parallel. Because the Birds of Prey poster art posters are all also like illustrations, mm-hmm. like they're illustrations of action with all of the characters on, uh, like present, and like we see all these different elements. We see the hot dog fingers, we see the fucking, we see the the googly we eyes, Deirdre. We see uh, like all these we crazy see the, things. Like robotic are those the anal wheelchair? plugs on the on the four corners? Are those the trophies? Yes. On the four corners? Like, yes, they are. Help. Like oh We see the God. raccoon. Yeah. Yeah, the, the bagel. The soda, the bagel. Oh, the little perfume bomb. Literally mm. every single detail of this movie is it's on this just poster. so, like, amazing. Like, what the fuck? I mean, okay, also, the other the parallel. fanny pack. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the other parallel I'm going to make with Words of Prey, again, my favorite film, is that, I mean, they're both, like, directed... By and written well directed and written by like Asian people and like with Asian women as the central focus of the mm-hmm. of the film and like I just think it's like that shit is just it I like I can all the vibes are always just like there like I can always feel it I'm like right okay yeah the girlies were working on this one I see I see <laughs> it's present it's so real and like mm-hmm. I feel like also it's just like the way that uh, even the dialogue between gay daughter and mom, like when she's like, just just be glad that like I I don't care that you're dating a girl, like ugh, whatever. But her still being like tacitly like homophobic, but also mm-hmm. like that not being a top priority. It's just like okay, whatever. We have shit to do. But that being those things that she doesn't care about and the things that she wants to push to the side is what her daughter ultimately cares about. That's what matters to her, and yeah. that's that's the point of tension in their relationship and that's the point of tension in, in any person's relationship uh, particularly with your parents it's like what do they want for themselves and then your life and then what do you want for your life like and there's that really heartbreaking scene where she where joy is like i see that you're having like a moment but i can't do this anymore and she's mm-hmm. about to get into the car and leave and then her mom is like wait you're getting fat <laughs> 
that is something my mom would 100% do. <laughs> like, please. I, I like, yeah. the, when Chinese moms who express their love for you via, like, why, eat this, eat right now. Why are you not eating? You're getting too fat. Stop, eat better. Like, it's, like, so, it's just so, like, funny. Uh, and I think Khadija made a tweet that I loved was, Immigrant moms would rather discover 1,000 universes than ever admit they could have been a little kinder to their gay daughters. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone is going a little crazy all the time. It's not just you. Like, so Mm -hmm. real. Like, so real. This movie is just about girls being crazy, but it's because the world is insane. Like, it's as absurd as the world. I love when shit doesn't take itself seriously because the world, there's nothing serious about it. Like, this shit is, it's goofy as hell, you know? (laughs) Like, and I think this movie doesn't take itself too seriously, doesn't take the world too seriously, which is why it's able to expand upon it in so many ways in the actual multiverse situation. And, like, it's just... Even even the heartbreaking moments are are funny and the funny moments are heartbreaking. Like it's just like yeah. wow, the dimensionality of it all. <laughs> I think it's so funny that like such a central location in the movie is the IRS office and like while well, all this shit is happening. Like there's something when the police officers like, come in. <laughs> It's yeah, a whole and it's barricade. Like, it's on the news. You're like, in line to like, like imagine going to the DMV and then realizing that the weight of the universe is on your shoulders. Like there's just something right. about that <laughs> that is so, like it's so bland. It's cubicles after cubicles, like no windows. Yeah. Like, And then Joy is like wearing these like very colorful, like makeup yeah. is like absurd, literally walking up the stairs of the IRS. Like that right. is so like... This movie could have taken place, like, in the universes and, like, time mm-hmm. traveling and, like, really mm-hmm. extravagant locations. But, it like, one of the main characters is an IRS. Like, that is so <laughs> fucking funny. Which also makes fact- me think that they definitely watch Chris Fleming's videos. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, I know I referenced it earlier and, like, Sick I read Jan. the article. Sick Jan is the blueprint. Literally- See, this is why this this movie is a combination of like all of our favorite, all of our favorite pieces of media and like if Chris Fleming and Birds of Prey and like (laughs) Saving Face could have (laughs) like put that in a blender, like like gay daughter mom relationship Mm -hmm. from Saving Face plus like the camp, like put it all together. It's literally this movie. Exactly. It's, so it's just good. so. It's a perfect blend of just. If Chris Fleming was chi- was a Chinese lesbian, this is what <laughs> his, his channel. <laughs> I mean, I also think like the the other element of absurdity as present in the setting is the fact that she enters and learns about these universes while crouched in the janitor's closet. Like, yeah, she and the fact. So oh my god! And the disgusting, bizarre things they had to do to be able to switch into their like. Taking the chewing yes. gum off the bottom of the desk. That was fucking insane. Oh my god. Or like, I mean, at, at first she just has to switch the shoes on her feet. Like she has to do something that she wouldn't otherwise do. It's like, that's the other thing. It's like, it's about pushing your boundaries and going beyond the comfort zone that you've set for yourself. And that, you know, like we see that Evelyn has been going on, she's been living on autopilot for like years, decades. And that's what makes the alternate universes of herself so appealing and so interesting to both her and the audience. Like her life is it's 
in itself right here is not that interesting. And <clears throat> the fact that she has to literally do that escapism to go beyond that in any way, it's just like, that's so real. It, that kind of ties back into what I was saying like earlier about visually the film takes you to the borders of what you think a film could look like and beyond. And it's very necessary that the film looks like that because it parallels the convention of wearing the right shoe on the right foot. Like, yeah, we wake up, we put our shoes on, like that's what we do. Like at a certain point, you don't even question, could it even be possible that the other way around is more comfortable or more efficient or whatever? And then we just see that become more and more absurd of like chugging two liters of soda and like the other people having to put something up their butt and like the <laughs> like eating a whole tube of chapstick, like things that are right. just like it's kind of like the genre of TikTok where it's like things that feel illegal but aren't. <laughs> like Right, right. I did like that. Instead of clicking your heels three times or thinking of a place you want to go or, you know, something like that. I like how absurd it is, but also it knows that it's absurd and therefore it is able to do those things. Like, if it's yeah. just silly and thoughtless and just, like, butt humor for the sake of butt humor, then I don't think it would be a five-star movie. But it's because it mm -hmm. knows what you would expect. It's able to subvert it in a meaningful way that doesn't make you feel manipulated. Exactly. Because so much of the the archetypical superhero movie is about manipulating your audience emotionally. Mm -hmm. And when you can also like, I feel like in mediocre or bad art or stories, you can always tell when the person creating the narrative is crafting it in a way to try to pull at your heartstrings at particular times, try to make you laugh at particular times. But I think this movie, it is aware of that. And it also surprises you. Like it slaps you in the face. Yeah. Like, it's, it's so jarring. I mean, I think like even At many when, times, if you pause the movie, I could not tell you what I thought was going to right, happen next. Exactly. Like, exactly. But not, not again, like not in a manipulation way. In a way that it's just like, this might be the future of film. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Right. Like this is fucking this insane. I love it. Mm -hmm. I need more. Like, mm -hmm. no, it's when she has her daughter duct tape to the fucking chair. <laughs> <laughs> For no when her reason. Is, is like, what are you doing? Uh, when the what the husband? Okay, and the duel, like the the dramatic irony of him delivering to her the divorce papers and her looking at the back of the divorce papers, thinking that she's talking to Alphaverse Waymond. Yeah. When. But they're they're having two different conversations. Yeah. And, but like, and she keeps on going to this other place, and he's like where are you going? Like, I think it's just like, oh, that's just so, that's so cute and silly and funny as hell. And also- And kind like, of um, flea bag coded because the priest right. was the only one who could see flea bag yeah. disappear. Exactly. Like at the end of the day, these two characters are still really in touch with each other. And that's why they've been able to have this relationship for so long. And when we see it come full circle at the end of the, at the beginning of the movie, she's fucking annoyed at him for putting googly eyes on everything. She's like, Ugh, these damn Google eyes. Ah. But then by the end of the movie, she like puts them on things intentionally. Just so fucking sweet. Like that's adorable. And them like hugging at, for their reunion of like, I'm, you know, like, I'm sorry. Like we haven't been, I haven't been treating you well. And her actually like being able to show that through her actions and 
the way that even the IRS lady, Deirdre, and her end up working through things together. And she's like, she tries to give her like a hit of her like dab pen or whatever. Yes, that and was she so starts laughing. And she's coughing. Like, help, help. He just says, like, yep, just press down on the button. And then it reminded me so much of when you were trying to get me. Me trying to teach myself how to use a dab pen. I was like, wow, that was, like, genuinely me. There's something about your first hit. But it's just, like, people, you act like it's so casual. Like, there's nothing jarring about it. But if you think about it. I was like, so true, Evelyn. We need this representation. We need right. first hit for representation. Girls who cough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> for girls who cough. <laughs> I don't think there will be anything like this movie that I, because it is so unconventional. Part of me thinks I want this to be the future of film, though. Like, I don't think, I think this movie is going yeah. to be five stars. I'll, I'll take a four star of the genre, I'll take mm-hmm. a three and a half star of the genre just because I really hope. I mean, don't get me wrong. Disobedience is one of my favorite films. I have nothing against a gray film. But I even think, like, Shiva Baby showed the beginning of, like, using color yes. to express things. Like, and really using playing absurdity with- yeah. and comedy for the purpose of emotional drama. <laughs> yeah. And it's not just levity. Like, I feel like yeah. the thing about franchise films is that it takes levity and drama as sort of the polar opposite things that mm-hmm. you'll use to cut in between each other to sort of balance out the general tone of the film. When in yeah. reality, they are, they can be one and the same thing when used properly. Because in real life, I feel like the most authentic, tender, emotional moments that you have with people are not ones that are pure joy or pure sadness or pure anything. Like, no emotion mm-hmm. is purely just one thing. And also, everyone has their desires intersecting with each other's. And we see that play out so distinctly in the way that they treat each other. And how, ultimately, like, all the characters are just are confused at what the fuck is going on with the other characters because yeah. they are not meeting their expectations or their expectations are just like not in the right place. And then as the film progresses, we see them start to understand each other more. We see, we get to see the IRS lady understand where they're coming from. We get to see the mom understand where her husband is coming from and her husband starting to understand, oh yeah, we are in a multiverse. And her daughter is like, mm-hmm. what the fuck is going on? And eventually like they, they actually have a conversation that, that tries to mitigate the relationship, but not only that, but like the the mom actually like sticks up for her daughter in and and expresses her identity in a way that was like that was the primary one of the primary anxieties of the daughter coming into the film. Like at the very beginning, like her her major what she was most nervous about and what she was fretting about mostly was like bringing her girlfriend to the family function. And not knowing how to deal with that with her grandpa and Mm -hmm. her mom being the intermediary for that. Like, that was the moment that I was like, guys, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that was so. (laughs) But then even when Joy reacts to that negatively, ultimately, it's like, it, it just reveals the, there's like an unresolved nature to all emotional relationships and to all dynamics that can still that, can, that like you can still live with it. It's kind of like how at the ending of Fleabag, it's like, "I love you, it'll pass." It's like one of those yeah. things where it's like, yes, that that tension. Like you just have to deal with the people in your life, because at the end of the day, they're the people in your life, and it, you're you're gonna go through shit together, 
And that's okay. Like, that's what, like, there's no clean cut emotional sort of, like, those those easy answers that I feel like the big box franchise films and the Marvels and the Disneys of the world want to offer you, where at the end of Mm -hmm. the film, everything is tied up neatly and it's everything is like peachy and and the stakes are so high for it's like oh the whole fate of the universe how many how many superhero films are going to have the fate of the universe at <laughs> as the primary like stake whereas yeah. in this film yeah it's the fucking fate of the universe and it's the fact that there is an imminent death potentially of everything but it's fundamentally tied to not an evil villain, not a mastermind of masterminds who who ultimately just wants to exploit other people. Like in Black Widow, which we did, which we ta- I talked about in a previous episode in like season two, in which it's like one man's vendetta against the rest of humanity because his daughter was destroyed and the blah 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 blah. And there's these mm-hmm. secret organizations set up to fight against each other. And then there's the agents of Shield, and the, it's like that shit is. I will never be able to really engage with that shit because there's so much world building that's outside of the capacity of an individual film. Whereas this one, like this movie, it doesn't take you outside of the realm of just this film. Like you don't need to know any fucking lore to get into it Mm -hmm. because the movie itself is, it it contains that universe. And also the oppositional force is not removed from or separate from or something that has to play into the dynamics of the main character's relationships to each other. But rather the main character is like, is the the opposing force in a way, but not in like a Black Panther way either. Not in like a yeah. the enemy ver- who the anti-hero situation. It's not like that at all. It's something that goes beyond that. It's not that, but it is, but in a different way. Like it's just like so uh anyway. <laughs> well, okay, this is what I was gonna say. Is it is a fate of the universe movie that doesn't promote ecofascism in the way that the past <laughs> However many number right. of Marvel movies. Like, the whole point of... Who's the one with the snaps and the glove? Thanos? Yeah, I literally watched the movies. I couldn't remember. Like, his whole thing... Of, it's like, forgettable. That shit's and, forgettable, like, half bro. The, half of the population is gone or whatever because of, like... Like, literally eco-fascism. And it's yeah. like... That... Humans are destroying the Earth. Yeah, like, that is a... Why watch that when you can watch gay daughter mom relationship? Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Like, like the maybe fate of the because universe. we are the gay daughters, but I right. think that that's a much more interesting and compelling story to be explored exactly. than yeah. any. And obviously, besides like Birds of Prey, like I know people were hyping up like Batman or whatever, and like Joker, and I'm sure maybe those are good movies. Whatever. Taylor Swift really likes Zoe Kravitz and them. Like, sure. But it's like, (laughs) it's dark. Like, when Batman hits someone, do they burst with confetti? Like... Exactly. Exactly. So, like, to me, even if they are... Even if other superhero movies are good movies, why watch those when I now have this Birds of Prey, like, a peer drama of even Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman? Like, just other... Other girlies are doing it so much better in so many other ways. Like, the Batman is 176 minutes, and it has a 4.2 rating on Letterboxd. Everything Everywhere All at Once is 139 minutes, and has a 4.6 rating on Letterboxd. Exactly, exactly. society. <laughs> we I rest our society. case here at the Lavender Menace. 
<laughs> no, exactly. Like shit that can, it's like, it, it, it's a long movie, but it doesn't feel like it. But then it, whenever it starts to feel like a long movie, you're like, wait, but I don't the want movie this to almost end ends. No, kidding. Exactly. But you're like, no, like so many things mm-hmm. are left unresolved and not in a way that feels cheap. Like they're just keeping shit, throwing, they just keep throwing shit at you so that you can keep watching. It's more of like the actual nature of their relationships has not been resolved because their relationships are deeply entangled with the fate of the universe in that because there are so many walls between the daughter and the mother, the daughter in these other universes has become an agent of chaos. <laughs> like, oh my God, the cutaway scenes of the alpha agents who are in yes. like the fucking like tank or the bunker or whatever, directing yes. all their things, being like, no, she's not, oh, she, oh. like they're stressed as hell behind the scenes at the, like it takes that, it takes that trope of like these brainy, computer scientists, data people behind the scenes operating on these computers, looking at everything from afar. And it makes it camp, makes it funny. Like it makes it stupid because at the end of the day, it's like, this shit is silly. Like superhero films that take themselves, action movies that take themselves so fucking seriously. It's like, mm-hmm. you, you'll you never be that girl. You about a comic character like it's not even that serious like Like, the deep batmans i'm like but then i have to hear you say gotham city and not laugh like to me that's funny (laughs) to me like you can't even change it to new york like you're right like your biggest opponent is the riddler (laughs) where's the intergenerational trauma in that like i just it's like to me but like that's the thing is that like if if this movie was this movie but took itself seriously, it would be so awful. Like, it would be right. so painful. It's yeah. because it knows who it is that it's yeah. able to be enjoyable in the first place. And that's why gay is okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why live, laugh, love. Love is love, right. everyone. Love is love is love is love or whatever the fuck Lin-Manuel Miranda said. We're oh, homophobic we, gay people, so it's not like we, we literally support that are. anyway. It's true. It's true. Oh, so the Harley Quinn DC show is an animated series that mm-hmm. is also like action packed and humorous and dramatic and queer and in a way that I feel like this film and, and absurdist almost mm-hmm. in this film, but like a bit, it's obviously it's like a DC show. So it's more conventional in that sense because it's obviously backed by a major franchise and it has these pre-existing characters. But I think it reminds me of that a little bit as well. That's like one of my favorite shows. And you know I don't watch TV, so like (laughs) I I love the Harley Quinn series. Big praise. Because it's also fucking hilarious, but also like emotional. And it's, I I feel like the way that this movie deals with intergenerational trauma, like immigrant narratives, daughter of immigrant narrative, gay daughter narrative, like action, like Mm -hmm. goofy dad, like... (laughs) Like, IRS woman who is a villain, but also a lover, but also a hater, but also the Mm -hmm. person who can help them get out of the situation, the senile grandpa, the the fucking, the random laundromat workers, the random laundromat lady, big nose lady. (laughs) The fact that she just refers her to her as big nose, the way that she, like, talks to the patrons of the laundromat, like, (laughs) girl... (laughs) Those are all my thoughts. Do you have any other thoughts? For now, no. But, you know, I'm sure they'll arise as I finally do get the nerve to, like, read the reviews and, and look at other people's, like, critical 
thoughts on this. Um, yeah. But <laughs> I want to rewatch it again to, like, pick up on all the, like, I feel like it, I know, it, it's going to be a good shit. second watch. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, do you have a recommendation for me? Oh, that's right. Recommendations. <laughs> Not you forgetting. I, I do have a recommendation. This, this is a, a, I mean, okay. Do I think you're actually going to watch this show? Mm, no. No. <laughs> Am I going to recommend it anyway for the listeners and on the off chance that you do? Yes. I'm going to recommend Gentleman Jack, which is a Not lesbian this. period drama show with Saran Jones. <laughs> and I watched it the first time in 2019. Me and my roommate, we were both binge watching a show that was making us emotional at the same time, but two drastically different shows. Hers was like a K-drama or something. And so we'd watch the shows on our laptops in the dorm and then pause and then rant to each other about the other show. It was yeah. So we, we have a bond. We always like, right, how's right, your right. show doing? So anyways, it's that. But it is about the life of Ann Lister, who was a landlord. Boo, boo. She was Everyone like very did. conservative. But yeah. so like not a sleigh, but she was a lesbian and that's a sleigh and she would have <laughs> sex with all the men's wives and she was a real person who was like a known a diarist. There's a lot of parallels between Taylor Swift and not Alistair. this. Like not there's this. a lot. Like if you watch it, it's like, ooh. But so she wrote like between like around three million words in her diaries, but they were all in code because it's all about like her gay relations and everything. So everyone had like code names, other places, like she changed the names. They discovered them in her family's like home that was like passed down through generations. But then they couldn't read it for like a long ass time. And so we've only been able to actually read the contents of this diary for a very long time. Kind of very similar to how like no one really read Emily Dickinson's poems until after she died and like her sister found them and was like, here are her poems. So is Gentleman Jack an adaptation of the diaries? Yeah. Why is it called Gentleman Jack? Because that was her gay name. That was her, that was the name that all of her girlfriends. And this is in what, the 15th century? 16th century? Yeah. What was this? Uh, The 15th, this is in the 1400s. So her and her wife, her and her wife have the same first name, but they're technically spelled differently. But they're first named Anne. Anne Lister is Anne with an E. Anne Walker is Anne. Gay people have been cringe for forever is what I'm hearing. <laughs> no, a- another um, Taylor Swift note. Taylor Swift dating someone right. who looks like her dating and marrying dating someone, someone with, <laughs> who has right, the same name. with the same name. They were technically the first gay marriage in all of England because they went to the church and exchanged rings. I think you and told me about and, like, this in, an, in another episode. Have I recommended this before? Did I just... I don't no, think I did. No, I mean did. the Ann Lister story. Oh, yeah, we yeah, talked yeah. about it on another episode, yeah. Well, so yeah, so I, I watched it for the first time my first year of college, but then season two is coming out. I'm so excited. Wait, I'm it only so has... This is only it. the second season? I thought it's been going on for a while. It came out in 2019, and then they were literally about to start filming season two in 2020. But then they didn't film, like, until... The, start filming till the very very end of 2020 maybe not even the entire year so then they didn't start filming till 2021 and it took them 12 months to film this season well okay so i i've actually also recently been recommended gentleman jack on my twitter because i think i made a complaint tweet i made a complaint tweet about how i wish there was like bridgerton for gay people because i 
t- was telling you, I- I've talked about on the podcast before, like, my historical romance slay. Like, I love a mm-hmm. good queer historical romance. Love a Regency romance with two gay people. And I think, like, because Bridgerton is an adaptation of the literal historical romance series Bridgerton, mm-hmm. it, it has those rom-com lighthearted qualities with the pastel sort of, like, color palette and mm-hmm. I just want that for gay people. Like, is that too much to fucking ask for? That's and literally so, Gentleman Jack. <laughs> and see, that's, that's what someone responded being like, oh, this is Gentleman Jack. And I was like, no, it's not. Gentleman Jack is, like, gritty, like, and dark. Like, I need something. Not I need really. Regency era. I need, se- I need 18th, 17th century dukes and duchesses. Like, we, like, we need mean, the baker's boy and the fucking <laughs> mobster is 17th century equivalent of that. Like, like, we, I need the, I need the balls and the cross-dressing and the fake dating of the equivalent of the 17th century, of the 18th century. Like, Gentleman Jack is not serving, it's not delivering that, I fear. But, it, okay, it's not as, like, past, like, it's not as cheap. That's because it's just better writing. Than the Bridgerton shows. I haven't read the Bridgerton. I haven't. Books. I haven't read the books that. or watched the show. I just mean like in terms of the tone, the tone, the vibes, the aesthetic. Yeah, but the Jack form is of funny, adaptation. Though. Yeah, like, but that's it's... not the point. Like the like uh, historical romances. The point isn't also for it to be funny. It's not so much funny as it is lighthearted. The stakes are not high at all. It's about random rich people and like their drama. Or there's a class element to it in Cass Sebastian's books a lot but mm-hmm. like I think like and also I think you'd Bridgerton still enjoy like, Gentleman Jack like it's not gonna be exactly that but I think you'll still really enjoy it though well see that the person who responded to me being a Gentleman Jack and I responded being like oh but that's like more gritty and dark than what I'm looking for the thing that I want to exist does not exist because if it did exist I would know like <laughs> if it, the thing that I like my vision for it I understand mm-hmm. what I want. Like, I want that. And I think this is the other thing, though. Because Bridgerton is an adaptation that is sort of, like, race blind. It's, you know, you just cast these random characters as from being from whom, wherever. And that's not really genuinely ever explored. It's just part of the setting. And, like, you know, whatever. That's fine. But I think, like, I, I have read enough historical romances, queer historical romances particularly, that feature characters of color who are, like, are actually characters of color in the in the mm-hmm. text like because obviously 17th 18th 19th century london there were, there were there were more black people than there were dukes and duchesses you know like it was like there mm-hmm. this is more that's more realistic than than for the settings that we actually have and because it's like a fictionalized version of a fictionalized version of an idea of a place and a setting you get to play with it in a way that's like not constricted to the to an adaptation that is based in someone's actual like life like with Dickinson or with Gentleman Jack or with like any other adaptation of of any like actually historically grounded material this shit like historical romances and regency romances like that shit is in a world of its own like you (laughs) that is not like there are elements to it to the setting and stuff that's integral to the setting that is the fact that it is the 17th 18th 19th century but like, is that how people talked? No. Like, is that how people interacted? Like, not at all. But that's what's so slay about the Bridgerton series and everyone loves it so much. It, because mm-hmm. that's not how bitches acted. Like, you're just kind of superimposing the tropes that you like in contemporary romances into onto a setting and onto characters who have other restrictions that aren't even really restrictions because it's a fucking rom-com show, you know? So 
Anyway, in my ideal world, I would adapt Cat Sebastian and uh, Olivia Waithe's books into mm-hmm. series. Because the other thing about Bridgerton, from what I know, because of the books are not... <laughs> is that because it's all set in the same universe, right? It's all characters who like vaguely know each other or are vaguely connected in some way. There are so many queer romance series that are like that. It's like the sister of the gay brother is actually, she's also gay and she's actually fucking the, the girl who is actually her brother's like, like it's <laughs> like, it's some dumb shit, you know? Like that's what I, that is the juicy shit that I, that I want. Fortunately, that's not going to happen um, anytime soon, I fear. So that's, that's really unfortunate. But Anyways, the recommendation that I have for you is another piece of lesbian media, of course. And, you know, for the A Sunny Book Nook fans of the (laughs) podcast, for those who watch my YouTube channel where I talk about books exclusively, well, not exclusively, but like majority, you would know that this is my first five star read of the year. Like we're three months, four months now into the year. And I've only had Mm -hmm. one five star fiction read All my other five star Reads have been, like, communist theory, so, like, it doesn't really count. Like, it's, it's communist theory. It's already going to be a five-star. Like, you know what I mean? But with this novel, it fucking blew me away. And I was kind of... I was... What's the word? I keep on forgetting words. I was hesitant. I was kind of hesitant to get into this book initially because I just... My expectations were not that high. But it's Yerba Buena by Nina LaCour. It's a sapphic literary fiction novel. It's very grounded in reality. Like, it's not campy or, like, crazy or set in different universes. It's just, like, a contemporary reality story. But Mm -hmm. it's, like, deeply touching in a way that, ooh, it really, it got me. It got me, okay? So, basically, the reason why I was hesitant to get into this book is because Nina LaCour, historically, like, all of her previous books have been young adult novels featuring like a lesbian main character who is like grieving like her ex her <laughs> girlfriend just died or something or like her mom mm-hmm. died you know it's shit like that right her stuff has always been recommended to me because it's like sapphic lit it's young adult lgbt shit and i just never really like got into it and i was never i never felt the need to either and so because this is her adult debut like this is the first time she's writing and putting out something for with an adult audience I was like uh but when I read it oh dear reader (laughs) so basically it follows these two characters one is named everyone pause everyone 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 wait Sarah and I was gonna guess Sarah I 100% I was like once you started doing a bit for the name I'm like it's gonna be Sarah Sarah." (laughs) no it is like it's literally Sarah um so basically, there's this girl named Sarah, and there's this girl named Emily. It's set in California. I think, like, Southern California, San Francisco, Bay Area-ish type of shit. Basically, there's this girl named Sarah. Did you just who, say Southern age, California, San Francisco area? No, sorry. Sorry. I don't know. I actually don't know. Somewhere in California, because they never really specify a town, I don't think. Okay. I don't think. Because one of the characters is from one part of California and then runs away to... San Francisco. So Sarah is from like a small town. I really don't remember where. Proper nouns in me. We don't get along. So. Raccoonatui. Like that's, yeah, I fear. Yeah. So Sarah runs away from home at 16 because at the age of 14, she lives in this like small California town that is sort of one of the casualties of like the opioid epidemic 
probably, mm. at least from what we can tell gauge from the book. And it's sort of, that's set back in like somewhere in the 90s or something like that. We kind of move across time. So when she's 14, her girlfriend, her secret girlfriend dies and her dad is really removed from her and he is involved in some shady business, probably a dealer or an addict of some sort. And her mom has also died um, when she was younger. And so Sarah, very traumatized kid. Mom died, girlfriend died, like shit's not right. And so at the age of 16, she decides to run away to, I think, San Francisco. She also like works at motels, just like cleaning motels and being a cleaner. But she's like, I, this cannot be my world. Like uh, this cannot mm-hmm. be it for me. And so on her way, running, running away from her town, she cuts all ties, but she has a younger brother and her younger brother state, like, she's like, I'm leaving. Do you want to come with me? And he's like, no. And so she's like, well, and so she leaves alone. On the way there, she picks up this gay kid named Grant, who is also trying to run away from home. And they mm-hmm. have to do some kind of unsavory things in order to get there. They have like, what, like $100 between them? Like, they don't, they don't have any fucking money. And they're trying to drive this random ass car to, to a city. They have no plans. You know what I mean? Like, they're just trying to get out of there. Then mm-hmm. we get an alternate perspective from Emily, who is has like mixed Creole heritage and she is some major California town city. I really don't know. I bro, I could not tell you anyway. So she's there and she's working as like an assistant to this family friend, but she has been going in and out of college for like years now. She's like, she's tried like three different majors and she's, Mm -hmm. but she keeps on not really committing to it. And she feels really unsatisfied with her life. Eventually she ends up getting a job working at a flower shop at the flower shop. She ends up like as a floral arranger that becomes one of her passions. She ends up being a floral arranger for this restaurant called Yerba Buena. And this restaurant Yerba Buena is owned by this really rich, famous chef, like California chef. They kind of get involved but it's obviously like a coercive relationship because there's a power, there's a really extreme power dynamic going on there and it's like a secret and hush hush or whatever. But again, we're alternating these perspectives and we get to see Sarah's perspective once she's cut off ties with everyone from her hometown and she's moved up in the world and she's found her passion as a bartender. And basically it's, that's sort of just the offset of the book. Then we follow them over the course of the next few years. But the thing is, is that for the first half of the book, they don't know each other. We're just sort of exploring their own history, trauma, backgrounds, like their previous relationships, their, the shit that they've, the, the shit that they've gone through. And then halfway through the book, we get that meet cute where, where mm-hmm. Sarah is working as a bartender at Yerba Buena and uh, Emily is a floral ranger at Yerba Buena. And also Yerba Buena is in, it's like an herb. It's like a plant that is almost kind of like mint. It's like native to the area. And at the very beginning of the book, I think there is, there's like a mention of like Yerba Buena tea and of like the Yerba Buena plant between Sarah and her ex-girlfriend who who died, or her girlfriend who died. Yerba Buena as a plant and also the name of the restaurant, it's like central to both of them as characters and to their 
like relationship. It's a really beautiful cover. I really need to get a physical copy of this book because like I love it obviously, but it's two vessels next to each other. One of them is a glass jar full of flowers and the other is a wine glass with a sprig of something in there. And it's just like, oh, so perfect because it's like these, they're two characters. One of them is like flor a floral arranger. <laughs> One of them is a bartender. And then there's Yerba Buena involved in both of them. But the title is Yerba Buena because they literally meet at a restaurant called Yerba Buena. So like mm -hmm. it's about the restaurant industry. It's about the gentrification of the city. It's about like addiction and family and trauma and understanding your identity and coercive relationships and sort of like moving around because they both sort of have they move in and out of different places and those places sort of represent like who you know where they are in life and but there's so many just beautiful tender moments and the way that places are described and the way that the people are characterized I was just like oh my god so fucking beautiful and as we are both like Sally Rooney enjoyers you know like Taylor Jenkins Rooney's enjoyers like yeah it gives me that kind of vibe where it's sort of like pulled back and mm -hmm. removed in some ways but still deeply involved in the like psyches of these characters but the writing style doesn't really oscillate that much between perspectives because it is sort of a removed third person point of view but we contained into the perspective of these characters and so it's very deeply mm -hmm. like internal but it's also about how they interact with the different people in their lives and the sort of misconnections and the star-crossed lover type shit when Sarah and Emily first meet they, they meet in passing and they're both immediately sort of like attracted to each other, but they don't really get together because Sarah understands that Emily is involved with the owner of the restaurant. And Emily is like, well, I don't really know if I even want to be involved with him, but like, I know how it looks. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it's only until like fucking five years later when they actually like meet up again. So it's like one of those, it's just like, oh my God. It's like one of those <laughs> like adorable but like heartbreaking lesbian rom-com type type shit but it's like so good and i loved it so much so yeah, yeah that's my recommendation that sounds cute and that is the episode of the lavender menace very cute great recommendations great shared media i honestly i really want to rewatch this movie again like not yeah. just to like but just like catch up just to see i feel like there's a lot of details like i feel like yeah. this i definitely missed movie is a lot jam packed yeah you know those movies that are so fun to watch like on the first watch but then mm -hmm. you also enjoy because you know yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah, know yeah. the second watch is gonna be like so good uh -huh. so i'm very much looking forward to that and yeah that's the episode yes, follow, us, follow on, us on social media yes yeah, on social media on our Patreon. Join our Patreon. I'm glad that we have a joint five-star rating. Like, how how exactly. uncommon for us to have the same opinion <laughs> and the same rating of a piece of media that we've both consumed. No, true. Like, Usually we're always, like, half a star off. But this one, yeah. five stars across the exactly. board. Exactly. So true. But, yeah, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.